Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. If you've got your Bibles, I hope that you do. Would you open them up to the book of Philippians chapter 4? I I, I say that on purpose, Philippians, because we have been in a series in Hebrews. Well, we're going to take a break from that. If if you don't have a Bible with you today and you don't have one on your phone, I promise if you're using your phone, I'm not going to say that you're, you're texting the whole time in church, even if you are, but I won't say that. But if you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab one of the hardback black Bibles from under your chairs. And if you're using one of those Bibles, you're going to want to turn to page 982. One of the uh, challenges I sometimes encounter when preparing a message uh, is, is deciding on what to preach. Maybe, maybe that seems obvious, but, but really it is a challenge at, at times, and that's one of the reasons why I like preaching through a book of the Bible, because it takes some of the guesswork out. I don't have to come up with topics and then look through the Bible and try and find scriptural references that, that relate to that topic. We just get to dive into the Word of God, open up, and start studying. At the same time, preaching through books of the Bible's got some benefits, It forces us to deal with things that we might not otherwise uh, want to talk about. You see, God's word really is sufficient to guide us through life, which means that it's going to address both the easy stuff of life and the hard stuff. It, It deals with everything, and when we walk through a book of the Bible, it forces us to deal with the hard. That said, there are times in life where it is right and good to to pause from maybe reading through a book of the Bible and take a topic and say, hey, what does the Bible say about this topic? And today is going to be one of those days. This this week, I I think most of us are going to be gathering around our dinner tables to stuff our faces with turkey and sweet potato casserole and green bean casserole and pumpkin pie and, and all the fixings, and I'm getting hungry just talking about it. Because this year we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving in, in the next couple of days. And, and so I think it's right and good to pause from our series in the book of Hebrews today and, and ask, what does the Bible say about thankfulness? Because in a year like the one we've had, it, it, it might be good to actually be genuinely thankful. I, I don't know about y'all, but... but but I've found it a little bit hard this year. Can we, can we be honest? Is, is, can this be a safe place today? And, and can we just say that in the year 2020, maybe it's a little bit hard to be thankful? Just me? Just me? Like, like as I was thinking about getting ready for this sermon a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was actually driving down Highway 98, and, and it was about the time I was passing Miles' shop. I, w- I was thinking about what am I going to preach on, and, and my first reaction was, what have I got to be thankful for this year? I, I know I know that sounds terrible. I, I know it sounds spoiled and first world. I, I know it sounds that way because, let's be honest, it is. But this year has been like one setback after another, one, one problem, one disappointment after another. I was thinking about listing them, but I feel like we've done that so many times this year so far that it's cliche even to, to list them. We all know what 2020 has been like, and that's the big stuff. 
Then like on top of all of that, we add in the little stuff like this year, the extended warranty. Like I had a, a bumper to bumper extended warranty on my Ram truck, right? And like two days after the warranty expired, two days, the logo on the side of the truck just fell off, right? Like, like that's the kind of year this has been. And that's the little stuff. Now I get it, it's, it's been one heck of a year this year. And, and just saying that is a bit of an understatement. But when we confess, when we're just being honest and real with ourselves for just a minute and, and we're willing to say, yeah, I, I'm struggling with this idea of being thankful as, as we go through this year, maybe, maybe it, that means that Thanksgiving is, is not just the holiday that we should be celebrating. Maybe that's the holiday that we need to be celebrating right now. And so as I started thinking about what should we talk about, what, what text of scripture should we go to today to, before we celebrate Thanksgiving, at first my mind went to Psalm 100, the, the psalm we just read together. Um, but, but as I was looking over Psalm 100, I really did feel like the Lord was leading me away from that psalm and, and over to Philippians chapter 4. Now, now I don't know about you, but but when you feel like the Lord is, is leading you to a passage of scripture, even if you don't fully understand why it is that he's leading you there, oftentimes it's just best to follow that lead. It's just best to go where he's telling you to go. And, and so as I began to study Hebrew, or Hebrew, see, I'm, I'm saying it already, Philippians chapter four, and, and I read these four verses, I, I realized that this is absolutely the text for us to consider for Thanksgiving 2020. Because while this isn't what, what most people would consider a thanksgiving text, this is a text that deals with where I think a lot of our hearts are at right now. So, so let's dive in. Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let, let's pray. Father God, as we get ready to look at this text of thanksgiving and we get ready to think about the heart of thanksgiving, what, what it means to be thankful, God, would you speak to our hearts right now? God, this year that we've been going through, it, it has not caught you off guard. None of this has taken you by surprise. You knew it was coming long before we were born, let alone before we have lived through this. So as we approach Thanksgiving, and, and maybe we feel like this has just been a year where we're, we'll just be satisfied to enjoy some good pie, God, we, God, would you work on us and show us how to have a heart of Thanksgiving? Would you show us how to be thankful, how to be the people that you've called us to be? Would you show us that we have so much to be thankful for? Would you be at work in us today? God, if there's somebody in the room today who hasn't come to know you as their Lord and Savior, we ask that today would be the day where they would repent of their sin, where they would set aside their pride and recognize the free gift that's available in you, that they would accept you as Lord and Savior, and that they would find the freedom that's available in your grace. 
Lord God, would you be at work in us today? Get Josh out of the way and speak to all of us today. It's in your beautiful, precious name that we pray. Amen. As we're looking at Philippians chapter 4 today, verses 4 through 7, and we're considering what it means to be thankful, I've got just one big idea for you today, okay? One, one thought, one point for you to chew on this today and this week as you're chewing on your turkey and your stuffing and your, your pumpkin pie later in the week. And that point is right here on the screens. A life of thanksgiving is not found in an attitude of thankfulness, but in a heart that's tuned to rely on God. That's it. That is my one big point for you today. A life of thanksgiving is not found in an attitude of thankfulness. It's not about forcing yourself to be thankful, but it's found in a heart that is tuned to rely on God. Now, let's take a look at the text and see where I'm getting that from. Paul begins in this series of commands here in, in chapter 4, verse 4, by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And as we're talking about Thanksgiving, I, I want you to just pause for a second and see where Paul begins. See where he starts right here. He begins by telling us to rejoice. Why is that? Why does Paul start by saying, hey guys, I need you to rejoice? I think he does that because he's, he's calling us to tune our hearts. If we want to find the heart of thanksgiving, we're, we're going to have to begin with a heart posture Gordon Fee, he's one of my favorite scholars and writers, he, he pointed out that joy, unmitigated, unrestrained joy is, or, or at least it should be, the distinctive mark of the believer in Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins with joy. He begins by working on the, the inside and, and going out from there. Now, now, some time ago, my daughter Kylie decided that she wanted to learn how to play the ukulele. Um, and so after a while of her asking, and asking I, I think would be putting it mildly, she, she nagged us into going out and buying her a ukulele. But after a, a while of asking, we, she finally wore us down, and so we went out and we purchased that little guitar-shaped kind of miniature guitar instrument for her. And as we came home, Kylie took that ukulele and she got herself on YouTube and she started teaching her how, herself how to play that ukulele. And I'm not going to lie, she's pretty good. She, she's gotten pretty good or so, but, but after about six months of playing, one of the strings on the, the ukulele broke. And, and so we went and we, we purchased a new ukulele string and, and we brought it home and she handed me the ukulele and the string and I got on YouTube and I did my best. YouTube's awesome, by the way, right? Like you can, you can learn everything on YouTube. I got, got on there, and I learned my best how to re-string re that ukulele, and, and once I'd finished doing that, I, I had to tune it, so I grabbed her little tuner. She's got this little thing. It just clips onto the end of her, her ukulele, and it tells you what note you're, you're hitting as you strum on the thing, and, and so I did my best to, to tune that, that ukulele, but here's the problem. I, I didn't tune it right. I, I, I don't know what I did wrong but what I did wrong, whatever it was I did do, it wasn't right. And so the instrument didn't work correctly. 
Kylie couldn't play. In fact, she, she started to get a little frustrated and, and discouraged, and we ended up having to bring the ukulele here to church and hand it over to Jason Werner, who took it, and he, he in like, no kidding, in like three minutes, he had the thing perfectly tuned. And, and as soon as it was retuned, everything was as it should be again. As soon as it was retuned, Kylie was playing beautiful little ukulele music again. An out-of-tune instrument cannot make beautiful music. It just can't. It's not possible. And an out-of-tune heart will never be able to walk in thanksgiving. And so that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing Paul go straight to the core. He's, he's saying to tune your hearts. He's, he's telling us to celebrate and express joy. What is joy? Joy is happiness, right? But, but it goes beyond simple happiness. It goes more than, joy is more than, you know, going over to Culver's and getting whatever their, their concrete mixer of the day is, right? That, that's happiness. But that's not joy. Joy goes deeper than that. Joy, at least the kind of joy that we're talking about here, is, is a deep-seated, enduring affection. It's the result of a life that has encountered and, and been changed by Jesus. The kind of joy we're talking about here is the kind of joy that is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the kind of joy that God gives you. You know the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is the result of God working in your life. And what Paul is saying right here to us today is celebrate that joy. Express that joy. Rejoice! But, but he doesn't just tell us to rejoice, does he? Take a look again. He, he, he tells us to rejoice in the Lord. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? To rejoice in the Lord means that we find our joy in the Lord. We find our joy in Jesus, in the fact that our Lord Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. It means that whatever may come our way, we know that our hope, our, our security, our, our, our home, our, our, our achievements, our spouse, none of it's in that. None of it's in that. Our hope and our joy is not found in all these things, our job. Our hope and our, our joy is found in Jesus. It's found in his finished work at the cross. It's found in the fact that, that we have been reconciled to God. I love how R.C. Sproul put it. He, he, he made this comment here. Take a look. It, it, should, it is on the screen. Look at that. He, he said, the key to the Christian's joy is its source, which is the Lord. If Christ is in me and I am in him, that relationship is not a sometimes experience. The Christian is always in the Lord and the Lord is always in the Christian. And that is always a reason for joy. Even if the Christian cannot rejoice in his circumstances, if he finds himself passing through pain, sorrow, or grief, he can still rejoice in Christ we rejoice in the Lord, and since he never leaves us or forsakes us, we can rejoice always. Let that sink in for a minute. Re really meditate on, on what that's saying. Can, can you see what he's saying here? Can you see what we're being pointed to in the text here? If you're a Christian, you've got a reason to rejoice 
Which is why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, rejoice. The Greek word for always there is pantote. Pantote. If you, you say that like that, it, it almost sounds like it's some sort of fancy French dessert, but, but what it really means is at all times, on every occasion, always. Always here in the text, you know what it means? It means always. Always rejoice. We're commanded to be rejoicing always. When things go our way, we rejoice. When things go sideways, we rejoice. When our kids are rebelling, we rejoice. When, when things at our job aren't going well, we rejoice. When your in-laws are coming over to your house for Thanksgiving dinner and the house is a disaster, rejoice. We're being commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. And in case there's any doubt in your mind, he backs it up and says, again, I will say, rejoice. Parents, when you want your kids to do something, when you really want to get a point across to them, what do you do? You say it again. You repeat yourself. Like if I go to Katie after dinner and I say, Katie, I want you to go do the dishes. Nothing's gonna happen, <laughs> right? Nothing, hey, hey, Katie, the dishes. I need you to go do them. Katie, go do the dishes now. We, we repeat ourselves, and, th and that's what Paul is doing right here. If, if you're a Christian, this is a command that is not optional. We're commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. We rejoice because it tunes our hearts to the joy that we have in Christ. We rejoice because it tunes our hearts to remember all that Christ has done for us. We need to tune our hearts, and that tuning begins by remembering that we have a reason to be joyful. We have a reason and we need to live out that joy regardless of our circumstances. Hey guys, it's 2020. Rejoice in the Lord always. Can we rejoice? But, but as that rejoicing works itself out, as we're actually doing the command that we're seeing right here in the text, as, as we're working that out, we need to do it in such a way that we continue to reflect Christ. That's Paul's point in verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Say that, reasonableness. Reasonableness. Come on, come on. That's a fun word to say, right? No, it's not. <laughs> While the ESV uses that word reasonableness, I had to practice saying that, by the way, like a like hundred times this week. While the ESV uses that word reasonableness to translate epi-e-case, I think the NIV's translation is a little bit more instructive. It's a little bit more helpful for us. The NIV uses the word gentleness. You, you see, there's, there's a way to celebrate that can be boastful. There's a way to celebrate that turns people off. Have you, have you ever experienced that? Like, like you get that neighbor who gets the new car and, and, and it, it seems like they're more excited to show off the new car than they are about actually having the car. And you're like, dude, I don't care. It's a nice car, but it's just a car. I don't care. We're being told not to be like that, okay? 
We, we celebrate in such a way that we reflect Christ and we don't turn people off at the same time. Because the truth of the matter is we've got nothing to celebrate in and of ourselves. We've got nothing to take the credit for. Our salvation isn't based on our righteousness, but on Christ's. So, so our rejoicing isn't in our righteousness, but in Christ's imputed righteousness. Imputed, that's just a big fancy word. It, it means the, the righteousness that Jesus has given to us. It's his righteousness that we celebrate, not our own. We're supposed to celebrate this joy that we have in Christ in such a way that it invites other people to come in. In such a way that, that when people see it, they, they're like, what is it that they have? I want some of that. In, in such a way that it, it causes people to want to know more about Jesus, not to run away from him. We're st supposed to celebrate this joy that we have in Christ to bring them in. So, so we don't do it in a way that makes much of us, but of Jesus. We don't do it in a way that pushes people away from Jesus, but, but pulls them into him. Because a heart that's tuned to Christ is a heart that will overflow with the love of Christ for other people. It's a heart that encourages others to join in in following Christ. It's a heart that's dependent on God's work, not on our own. And so as we're talking about the heart of thanksgiving, we, we see this command to rejoice and, and this command to be gentle as we rejoice. And as we look at the end of verse 5 and then we move into verse 6, we're, we're going to see one more command that's stated in a negative, positive way. It, it's stated like, like, don't do this, but instead do this. Take a look with me. End of verse 5. The Lord is at hand. Now, now, I need to stop right there because that is setting the stage. That's the qualifier. Christ's return is imminent. We don't know when it'll be. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It will be soon. That's what the Bible teaches. And I think a lot of us, we'd willingly say, yeah, I believe that that's the case. But we don't live like that's the case. We don't live like we, we believe that Christ's return is coming soon. And so what I want to challenge you today is to live like that's true. Because if you do, it's going to make what follows on in verse 6 even more powerful for us today. Christ's return is imminent. That's, that's primarily, I think, what Paul has in view here in the end of verse 5, but at the same time, as we see this statement at the end of verse 5, especially if you were able to, to read it in the Greek, you, you would see that it, it seems like, and I think he is, Paul is echoing Psalm 145, verse 18. That, that psalm says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. You see, here in Philippians, the, the word translated at hand, at hand, that word is engus. And, and while at hand is a correct translation of engus, near is a more natural one. And, and if that's the case, and, and I think it is, the connection to Psalm 145 verse 18 becomes even more pivotal, even more helpful. 
You see, our Lord Jesus is near to all who call on him. And because that's the case, and because his return is imminent, Paul says the Lord is at hand. He's, he's near. He hears you when you pray. So, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This heart posture that we've been talking about in the first two verses of our text today is, is going to lead us into this singular command that's fleshed out in this positive and a negative imperative. The, the negative imperative is do not be anxious about anything. That's the negative command. And I feel like I need to pause for a minute and point something out to you. Okay, I need, I need you to get this. There, there are very few things in life that will block you, that will keep you from being thankful, like anxiety. There are very few things in life that are going to keep you away from thankfulness like worry, which is why Paul starts with the negative. He says, don't be anxious. But, but this isn't a new command. This isn't something that Paul made up for himself. Jesus told us the same thing. I want you to take a look at Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Like flip over there in your Bibles. If you're using one of the pew Bibles there, uh, turn to page 811 and take a look at this. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And, and, which of you be, about, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Do, do you see it there? In Matthew chapter 6, do you see? Jesus is telling us to tune our hearts to God. Don't worry about all the cares of the world. God knows what you need and he will provide what you need. Trust him in that. Seek him in that. That's what Jesus was saying. So it makes sense that Paul would echo him in that. Do not be anxious about anything. That's the negative imperative. That's the negative half of the command. One scholar noted that this command, do not be anxious, is a negative command based on the idea that anxiety divulges a lack of trust in God. Which is why we're told, don't be anxious. 
But Paul doesn't stop there. I I love that. He he doesn't say, don't be anxious about anything. Stop all this worrying. Just move on already. He doesn't say that. No, from the negative, he he shifts over to the positive. He, He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I absolutely love this because Paul isn't just telling us, don't worry. He's not saying that. What he's saying is trade this time that you've spent in anxiety. Trade this time that you've spent in worry for time spent in prayer. Take your worry and give it to God. When I worry, when when, when I'm stuck in a moment of anxiety, quite often what I've found in those moments is that I'm worrying because I'm, I'm trying to handle, I'm trying to take care of, I'm trying to, to manage whatever thing it is that I'm worrying about on my own. And what Paul is telling us here in Philippians 4, 6 is stop trying to manage it on your own. Stop trying to carry the weight of the world on your own. Learn to rely on God. Take that anxiety that you've got and pray. Paul uses two words to talk about prayer. And then one word to kind of set the the attitude, the heart posture, the way that we're going to approach prayer. He tells us that we should come to God by prayer and by supplication. The word prayer, as we see it used here, is referring to intercessory prayer. That's, that's where we're praying for someone else. The, the word supplication denotes an urgent request for a need. It's, it's something we address specifically to God for ourselves. And the idea here is, is that whether we're praying for someone else or for ourselves, either way, we're taking it to God. Are you anxious about your family, about your friends, about your neighbors, about your coworkers? Bring that to God. Are you anxious about your life, your job, your home? Where's, where's the next paycheck going to come from? How am I going to pay the bills? Take that to God. The idea is that every worry, every anxiety can be covered by prayer. It can be converted into prayer. But do you see the posture that we come with? We come in thanksgiving. We come knowing that we can be thankful. We come in a posture where our hearts have been tuned to rely on God. And because we know that we can rely on him, because we know that he is faithful We can be thankful. We can come in thanksgiving in that moment. We have this thankfulness in our hearts because we know that we can cast all our cares on God because he cares for us. That's what the apostle Peter told us. But but here's the part about this double command right here in Philippians 4 that I I absolutely adore. Like, Like, take a look again. Paul tells us, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do you see what he's telling us right there? Do you see that? 
When you come to God and you come in a posture of thanksgiving, when you come with your, your prayers and your supplications, knowing that you can rely on God, when you come to him like that, your requests can be made known to God. Don't, don't miss what he's telling us here. Like, like don't miss this because this is, this is really big. I, I mean, like, like, it means that if we're struggling, we can take our requests to, to God. Like, like, if I'm struggling with something, and I say, hey, I'm struggling with this, and I've made that known to you, what does that mean on your part? It means that you know that I'm struggling. And what this text is telling us right here is that when we make our requests known to God, God knows that we've made them. He hears us. He's the creator of the universe. He is in charge of everything. He makes the sun to rise. And yet somehow he's still able to hear our prayers. That blows my mind. I don't understand that. So, so we can bring our anxieties to him. And because he hears us, because of that, he's able to address our anxieties in that moment. Like, think about that. The God of the universe who created everything, he hears our prayers. What we would say are, are little kind of petty prayers but also the really big, hard, heavy prayers. Every single one of them. And so we can take our anxieties to him, which is the whole point of, of what we're seeing here. We, we can take our anxieties to him, and in that moment, God can address those anxieties, which is why he says in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. The, the kind of peace that doesn't make sense when the election didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. The, the kind of peace that doesn't make sense in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. The, the kind of peace that doesn't make sense when, when you've got trees falling down on top of your house. The kind of peace that doesn't make sense when your kids are rebelling and running away at full steam from you and God. The kind of peace that defies logic the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have you ever experienced that kind of peace where, where you've taken your anxiety, your worry, and you've, you've given it over to God? And in that moment, you just have a peace let me tell you straight up, I, I've experienced that kind of peace. And let me tell you something about it. It's straight up addictive. Like, like it's addictive. Like you, you want more of it. Like, like I remember back earlier in, in the year, I, I think I told you about this that day that I had, but early on in the pandemic, as we were just starting to shut everything down and, and we're, we're wondering, where am I going to get food from? Where am I going to get toilet paper from? How am I going to feed my family if I can't even leave the house? What's going on in that moment? I was having a day on, on, on one of those days back in March where, where I was just overwhelmed by anxiety. And, and here's the thing, I don't get anxiety this was a new thing for me. I hadn't had to deal with this before. So, so on that day where I was just really struggling, I had to go away from my family. 
I, had to, I, I actually ran into the master bedroom bathroom all by myself. The door's closed and I'm in there and I'm praying. I'm saying, okay, God, your word tells me that I can bring my worry to you. Your word tells me that I can cast my anxiety on you, that you care for me. In this moment, I need you to relieve this anxiety. I need you to take this off of my heart. I need this right now. God, keep your word for me. And in that moment, do you know what he did? He took away my anxiety. And here's, here's like, moment of confession. I ain't perfect, okay? Moment of confession. In that moment, do you know what my sinful nature did? In that moment where, where that peace came on me, I decided now's the time I need to test God. And, and, and so you know what I did? I sat there for a second, and I'm like, wow. It's, it's literally gone. I'm, it's gone. Okay. How am I going to get groceries? How am I going to be able to preach at church? How much toilet paper do I have out in the garage right now? Am I going to make it through this year? I, I thought about all the things that had caused me to be anxious. That's what I did. And you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding it guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, this, this peace is available to us if we will teach our hearts, if we will tune our hearts to rely on God. It's a, a peace that surpasses all understanding. I'm on my spare glasses, and they're just not cooperating today. It, it enables us to walk in thankfulness. It, it enables us to live on mission it enables us to take our eyes off of ourselves and keep them focused squarely on Jesus. I began today by, by telling you that as I thought about this year of 2020 and I thought about Thanksgiving in the year 2020, the, the first thought that went through my mind is, what have I got to be thankful for? That, that's where I started today. This has been a year filled with challenges. It's been a year filled with, with fear and anxiety and setbacks. It's been filled with disappointment. And as I thought about that, I, I knew that in spite of all of that, I did have not just some things to be thankful for. I've got a whole lot of things to be thankful for. But I also knew as I was thinking about Thanksgiving, I, I knew that I, I didn't want to just have a Thanksgiving where I went through Thanksgiving with just platitudes. With, with empty, oh, I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful for my car. I'm thankful for freedom. I'm thankful for this turkey. Like I wanted, I wanted more than that. I wanted to have genuine Thanksgiving because here's the thing, I'm a Christian. And deep in my core, I know that in spite of everything going on around us this year. This year that's been unlike anything we've ever experienced. There absolutely have been things for which we can give thanks and mean it. Like, like we can have a heart of thanksgiving. We, of, of all people, need to be people who live lives of thanksgiving. And what this text is showing us is that a life of thanksgiving 
is not found in an attitude, like, like, a, like a forced attitude where I'm just saying it out loud, but I don't mean it down in my core. It's not found in an attitude of thanksgiving, but in a heart that has been tuned to rely on God, a, a heart that, that knows that we can take everything to him, a, a heart that knows that even in the darkest of days, we can rejoice in the Lord what do we have to be thankful for today? We have Jesus who died for our sin to reconcile us to God. And because he did that, we have a God who hears our prayer. We don't need a priest. We don't need a pastor. We don't need a deacon. We can go straight to God and he hears our prayer. And because he loves us and he hears our prayer, he can address our problems in the moment. That's something to be thankful for. The heart of thanksgiving is found in a heart that knows that we can trust God because God is faithful. So, so this week, as you get ready to go out and celebrate Thanksgiving, let me challenge you. Learn to be thankful. Not, not the shallow, petty thankfulness, not the, not the thankfulness I just talked about a minute ago, but like genuine thankfulness that, that overflows in rejoicing in what Christ has done for us. How he's changed our world by stepping into our world. Let's be thankful this week, okay? Let's pray. Father God, as we have sat here today and looked to your word and it's shown us what it means to be thankful that to be thankful means that we've got hearts that have been tuned to rely on you lord god would you do a work in us god i i feel like a lot of us today are kind of where i was a couple weeks ago where we're looking at this year that we've been going through, we're looking at everything that's happened, and, and, and if we're just being honest for a moment and we're letting our guard down for a moment, if we, if we take off the mask that Joe talked about a few minutes ago uh, about how we just try to make everything look good and, and right and perfect and holy as we come into church, if, if we were to set all of that aside, we, we could confess that maybe we don't feel like we've been as thankful as we should be. We, we can confess that, that in our spoiled selves, we've, we've looked at this year and been like, I, I don't have anything to be thankful for. God, we confess that our hearts have been there. My heart, God, my heart has been there. And so God, I would ask that you would do a work on us today. Help us to see how much we have to be thankful for. God, let the Thanksgiving meal that we celebrate on Thursday be more than just a good meal with good friends. And let this be a day where we pause and we remember all the ways that you have blessed us, all the ways that you have made your face shine upon us, all the ways that you've been gracious to us. work in our hearts. We need you, God.
Help us to tune our hearts to rely on you. To know that we can trust you. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.